Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What a whirlwind week we have been in following a weekend of upsets and down to the wire games. We were treated with a hefty slate of news, most of which have had a major fantasy impact. And we will touch on all of it and more right here on the Breakout Football Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Zach Cohen of the Draft Network alongside the Honorable Cole Topham of Devil's Digest. It's just us today, but we have an exciting guest lined up next week. I can't wait to tell you guys about him. You may know him from Twitter, but we'll keep his name under wraps for now. But in the meantime, of course, we will have our weekly superlatives. We'll have our 10 takes. We'll end with a fan Q&A. We're also bringing back the good, the bad, and the ugly. And trust me, there is a lot of bad and ugly. But I think before we get to any of that, we have to start with the flurry of news that's kind of happened recently and how it impacts fantasy because, man, a lot has gone down in the last few days, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it, it's it's crazy. I mean, I felt like the trade deadline was the least eventful mm-hmm. um, circumstance of them all, considering Always is. what Always we've is. been through. Yeah, it's there's been a lot of going on with like injuries and COVID stuff and obviously some other things so you know like just like off the top of my head right now like Derek Henry the man who is supposed to be the the iron man of football the one who never gets injured he's hurt he could probably miss the whole season I think if he comes back it'd probably be within the last week or so so I don't know how much value he'll have you unless you make it to the championship and chances are without Derek Henry you're not making it to the championship yeah so we'll have a little bit more on uh, the running back replacements for him later. And then, of course, you know, in not – so how do I put this? How do I put this? In more – in less football news, but all, it still has a football impact, obviously, Henry Ruggs and that whole unfortunate situation. Like, it's just a whole big sad thing. But there are still fantasy implications. I know it's kind of like the least important thing about that whole scenario, but there is – like look like Brian Edwards like maybe someone to pick up I'm not really feeling him like what what do you think I mean I've always been so like cold on on Brian Edwards that I feel like I I just think Ruggs's absence in that lineup isn't really going to change things if if it's going to make the Raiders like need to they need to respond to adversity right I mean this is just a whirlwind of a season where they've lost their head coach and now you know, one of their starting receivers. But, I mean, most of all, with that situation, I think a lot of Raiders fans are left disappointed, right? Not only, like, disappointed that such a strong season has now gone the drain, but one of their key pieces for the future um, made that decision. And it's it's just, as, as a fan of football, it's just an unfortunate situation that, I am still having like problems comprehending. Like how how do you how do you make that decision with another person in your car to go 156 yeah. miles per hour in in your car? Like on and he wasn't even on a highway either. Yeah, it's so, uh, it's, it's a whole big issue, but we, we won't get too much into it. Obviously, we just hope everyone's okay. There's still that's not even like I mean, like again, like fantasy football when it comes down to it is really meaningless in the grand scheme of things whether it does put into perspective for sure yeah henry ruggs or calvin ridley taking time off to deal with mental health which is awesome for his part you know you obviously a lot of people go through a lot of different things and then i guess the fantasy impact of that is really like what's left for the falcons like it's nice to see cordero patterson and kyle pitts uh you know russell gage is there i'll have a little bit more on gage in a minute but what, what do you really think about that situation? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just all, it's all about opportunity, right? I mean, like when, when players aren't, aren't there to perform at their highest level, when they take time to themselves, it's all about next man up. And I feel like that's, that's, a, that's a football mentality that's been, you know, tried and true. And it may be a little bit cliche, but that's how the sport works, right? It's, it's expected that the too deep 
is there for a reason and that the two deep be ready to take up, you know, the reins at any point. And so, I, I mean, I think Russell Gage, it was disappointing that he couldn't match Ridley's caliber of production or what we, ex- those numbers that we expect from Calvin Ridley. But I also don't think he was, you know, expected to really take on that role to begin with. So it's, it's all about, it's an evolution, right? Football is an evolution. And I think maybe we'll, there, there'll be a point where, where Gage will, will be fantasy relevant at that point. But at this point, I just don't see it. Mm-hmm. And of course, there are some other players who won't be playing this week. Saquon Barkley has COVID. Aaron Rodgers has COVID. I think with Barkley, you just continue to start Devontae Booker. With Rodgers, I don't really think it's time to start Jordan Love yet. Yeah. Like you're more of a dynasty favorite of mine rather than someone you really should have in your lineups this week. Uh, AJ Dillon maybe sure does a little bit more. Aaron Jones maybe uh, be more flexed out to the receiver role. We kind of saw that when Green Bay played Arizona that and Jones was almost like the de facto wide receiver one and Dylan started to get a lot of carries. So I think that's something that could easily happen. And obviously, Hey, who knows? Maybe Jordan love does become the next great Packers quarterback. Maybe he drops a stinker. I think either way, the reactions are going to be overly dramatic and that people are going to think he was really good or he was really bad. So we'll, we'll kind of see what happens uh, with those two COVID related incidents. Yeah. I mean, either way, I think it's going to open up people's eyes, right? Because Jordan Love, all we've seen from him is a little bit of preseason action, right? And and yeah. just practice throws here and there. So I mean, this this will be a real test, and I think it's it's definitely it's not how we anticipated seeing Jordan Love for the first time. And I, I mean, I don't think we would have like anticipated a, a normal reason for like I mean, maybe if Rogers suffered an injury or if, or if he didn't suit up this season. But mm-hmm. I felt like the only reason we were going to see Jordan Love. Um, suit up with a Rogers presence would be if if something like drastic happened to Rogers, and I guess this this fits that example. Yep, definitely. And then obviously the last piece of news, and a lot a lot of it going on before we uh, transition into more a little more. I don't, don't want to say upbeat because I know there's a lot a lot to take in. Not necessarily, I would say mostly not a favorable news that's for sure but we'll get into more favorable things for your fantasy team and stuff i don't really know how to segue that but are the last thing really on the docket uh, i feel like a a solemn cnn reporter here is that odell beckham is just kind of not a cleveland brown anymore and i say kind of nada because nobody really knows like what's going on there like he may not be a part of the team now so what do you think as I am losing my voice? I'm a little sick, so I just got to take a sip of tea real quick. But what do you think about <laughs> no, you're good. Uh, well, Odell I, replacement? I just thought it, that whole situation is so odd because I, I mean, while the rug situation was going down, I was kind of expecting Beckham's name to be floated around the market a bit and, you know, perhaps see him in a different uniform this week. But nothing really transpired. And I'm like, okay, Beckham is going to be in Cleveland for the future. And a day after the trade deadline, that seems like just not the case. And Baker Mayfield had a press conference today. He fielded some some tough questions, and it kind of seemed like the quarterback was looking for answers as well. So, I mean, it's it's just puzzling. And uh, I mean, obviously, I don't think if I don't think you were starting, you know, Beckham in in, in any leagues like recently, mm-hmm. but definitely a player you probably could have cut a couple weeks ago. Oh, definitely, and. I mean, I'm not sure Beckham's been hanging on to fantasy relevance for the past few years, it seems like, and never really put together a, a strong season that encouraged uh, fantasy managers. And and I'm just wondering if if he really is touchable in, in any formats moving forward. Definitely isn't. And I think the one certainty with like kind of all these news is that some people are going to really look toward the other players on the roster and say like, they may be distractions and like those players stocks are going to decrease because of that. We don't really know that that's kind of a naive thing to say like, Oh, like not having like Odell is going to be a distraction for Baker. It's going to make the Browns offense worse. It may make the Browns offense worse. Although statistically speaking, ready for this. I don't remember the exact numbers, but Baker's stats have been better without Odell. Yeah. His career. So I find that very interesting, but we really don't know how a lot of those situations are going to play out with those six players really touched on. But what we do know as we keep the ball rolling here on the breakout football podcast is that there's still a lot more fantasy football to talk about ahead of week nine, but real quick, we could take a look back at week eight 
and come up with our weekly superlatives. We each have two as always and see how it can impact your team moving forward. So why don't you, as always, kick things off? Yeah, I mean, fantasy football, it's all about trying to unlock the mysteries surrounding certain backfields in the NFL. And sometimes just all of your hard work just goes to put, right? I mean, we thought we had a handle on the Eagles backfield. And I mean, instead, this is what we got, right? We got 12 carries for Jordan Howard and 12 carries for Boston Scott. Scott had 60 yards. Howard had 57. And, and I mean, while they both had two touchdowns that game, it's just really hard to figure out who is going to be the favorite in this backfield when those stats are literally identical. I don't want to spoil what I have to say later, but I will have more on the Eagles backfield, namely one of those players. So I completely agree with you, by the way, like it's confusing, but I I kind of expected it again, though. Don't want to dip into my notes from uh, in just a few moments, but my first superlative is a little more in the positive light. I would say most likely to be a future wide receiver one. So if you're playing in a 12 team league, that means top 12 receiver, 10 team league, top 10, eight, four, so on. Maybe not four, but you get the point. He's someone you could probably start every single week. And I think that's Michael Pittman. And there were a few other players who I could really go with here, like Marquise Brown or Terry McLaurin. But I wanted to go with someone who's not as big of a name as them. I think Pittman, he's been really good in recent weeks. And that's including a monster 30-point performance against Tennessee last week. And across the whole season, he's only had two games below double-digit points. He really just looks the part, not to mention Pittman has been thrown 65 passes. Guess how many he's dropped? Guess. I'm guessing maybe one. Lower zero. He has dropped zero of them. That is the best rate in football for a player seeing that number of passes. Just imagine what he can do when this offense is healthier and with a better quarterback than Carson Wentz, who, for what is worth, has been playing actually pretty solid this season, aside from a couple boneheaded plays. So Mike, Michael Pittman, future wide receiver one. Love him this season. I love him past this season. Yeah, I mean, I really like Pittman before the season just because the signs pointed toward him having a monster season. Wentz loves bigger targets. Pittman was going to be used in a way that Alshon Jeffrey was. So, I mean, with, with all of Wentz's past you know, history in Philly coming over to, to Indy and just seeing his his play transpire in that offense. It's been really encouraging for Pittman. Oh, yeah, 100%. All right, I take another sip of my tea there. A little fever, but, you know, the show goes on. Call this my flu game, I guess. I guess I guess I'm the next Michael Jordan. I don't know. I guess so. Yeah, no, I mean, we, we discussed next man up earlier in the show, but there really is no next man up for the Breakout Football Podcast. It, it really <laughs> is just you and me, Zach. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we'll get an all fan podcast. I'm just kidding. We'll have a fan Q and a at some point, but this is our show, baby. And the show keeps rolling. What's your second weekly superlative? Well, yeah, Zach isn't allowed to break down, but I guess NFL players are. And in this case, I thought the biggest breakdown of week eight was the tight end position. Because if you look at the top 10 producers for tight ends this week, we have TJ Hawkinson and then we have Dan Arnold. Pat Freermuth, Dallas Goddard, Brevin Jordan, Jesse James, Geoff Swaim, Tyler Conklin, Evan Ingram, and Jordan Akins. Like, uh, nowhere is Travis Kelsey, nowhere is CJ Uzama, um, Jack Doyle, Mike Gusecki, all these other names fall outside the top 10. So if you were starting like a name brand tight end this week, you got sorely disappointed. It is not getting better this week. I promise no. you it is not. Uh, let's see, the Bucks on by, so you can't use those guys. The Lions on by, sorry, Hawkinson stands. It's not good. And I wrote about that in my waiver wire column too because there are very few good tight ends to pick up. It's going to be very disappointing for you. Speaking of disappointments, the biggest week eight disappointment as we round out our superlatives was Russell Gage. I said many times last week that He should be a starter in your lineups. I had so many questions about it, and I was very confident in him having a huge game. Of course, that did not happen at all. Despite playing 67.9% of Atlanta snaps, Gage saw zero targets. And yeah, I guess I did consider the possibility that Patterson and Pitts would have field days, which could kick Gage to the curb. But that didn't happen either. 
Patterson had 18 points, which was pretty good, but only on five targets and seven carries. So you take that touchdown out and number drops significantly. And as for Pitts, the uh, the cream of the crop, the, the the future tight end one, maybe even wide receiver one, depending on how you look at him, he had 3.3 points. Where the heck was Gage? Is Carolina's defense that good? Well, I mean, I guess it is pretty good, but to the point where Gage saw no targets, apparently he's dealing with a groin injury, so maybe that could have hindered him a bit. But moving forward, we will need to see more from Gage until he's a confident start each week. Right now, he's the third best player to own on Atlanta, and it's a major drop-off after CPAT and Pitts. I mean, I, I agree. It's it, I think it's just a major concern when – the most trustworthy option on Atlanta's offense at this point in the season is Cordero Patterson. I mean, that just shows you what this team is dealing with. What a weird season, man. This is insane. Well, as we get past our superlatives, we now get to our 10 takes again next week when we have our guest, big guest, we will fling some names at him or her. You never know. You never know. But today, we're going to exchange some names, give some takes on them. Doesn't have to be too long, or you can go off, spend two hours, make a Marvel movie about it, do whatever you want. Why don't we all start this time? Because there's been a player that I wanted to talk about, but I want to hear your thoughts on him too. Jalen Hurts was supposed to have a huge week last week, and he just kind of didn't, despite the Eagles dropping a massive, almost 40-burger on the Lions. What's your take on Hurts for the rest of the season? Well, this is just kind of a callback to our last episode when we had uh, what? It, hold on, is Nate Yonke? Did yeah, I get it right. Yep, perfect. Yeah, when we had Nate Yonke on from Pro Football Focus, he called this. He said Jalen Hurts was going to go through a rough stretch after starting the season off hot, and we finally saw this with an eleven point fall off. So I just want to give Nate his credit because I'm we're we're gonna see that, and it's not gonna get much better for Hurts. Yeah, his schedule upcoming is not looking too hot. All right, so we'll keep the ball rolling. You got uh, you got any quarterbacks for me? Yeah, I mean, we were just talking about him. It's the guy throwing Michael Pittman the ball, Carson Wentz. Mm. And you said they could possibly upgrade there and Pittman would be better off. But, I mean, I would just want to know, is Pittman, is Pittman going to do well with Wentz the rest of the season? Yeah, I think Pittman will be fine because he's been fine. And I think the main reason is that Wentz has quietly been having a good fantasy season. He's produced about 17 to 22 points in every game, excluding when he dropped a 7.7 point performance in week three, a lot of points in there, but you get my point. He's also thrown just three (laughs) interceptions all year, which you think would be more. You think he's thrown more than that, but two of them just came on Sunday's loss to Tennessee and those two... We're not pretty. They were not. So he deserves to be added in all leagues. And maybe, depending on the matchup, slotted in your lineups. I'd consider him against the Jets if your starter's on a bye or if he's Aaron Rodgers. So Wentz does have some starter appeal this week and for the rest of the season, maybe, depending on who else you have on your roster. Yeah, I mean, I I just don't think... I, I feel like Wentz is always going to be in the back of my mind. It's like, okay, this dude like was completely terrible in 2020 and that is just going to prevent me from like drafting him at at like a high level in the the future like I hate how previous performances can like mar players for for just like the future if you know what I mean yeah Wentz has that huge stigma against him and one player who I don't want to say has a huge stigma against him but Got a lot of flack when he was drafted was A.J. Dillon. I talked about him at the top of the pod. And what do you think about him moving forward? I just don't really understand his usage. Like, he just kind of seems <laughs> to be there if Aaron Jones goes down. But, like, Aaron Jones is, is kind of a tank, you know? And and it seems like he controls most of the backfield work. Dillon will get his reps. But I haven't. I don't really think Dylan's been all that effective in, in the action that we've seen him and they're not using him in the traditional, like one, two punch role that we saw with Jamal Williams. So I'm just kind of left searching for answers. Like what do fantasy managers do with AJ Dylan at this point? Because he's not seeing like the 50, 50 split that some envisioned. He's not even seeing like a, a predominant pass work role. Uh, I, I'm just kind of wondering like, is is Dylan ever going to be relevant as long as Aaron Jones is in Green Bay? 
Maybe. I mean, Dylan has been seeing a slight snap increase, like steadily throughout the season. But you're kind of right. Like at this point, it seems like he's kind of hit his ceiling and he won't be able to establish a new one unless Aaron Jones is taken out of the equation. So it's kind of some uh, muddled answers there from that backfield. All right, Zach, what do you think of Adrian Peterson, the newest uh, supplement to the Tennessee Titans roster? Oh, man. I love that AP is back in the league. I really miss the days of him as a Minnesota Viking man. Is he turning oh. into the new Frank Gore? I don't even know. Like, man running back. Uh, it's just, it's just kind of crazy that here he is all these years later. And you kind of look at what he did the last few years with Washington and Detroit. He was still making an impact. So I get why some people think he'll fill in nicely for Derrick Henry. But let's be real. Peterson's 36 years old, and no one, not a single soul on this planet can do what Derrick Henry does. Peterson's worth a roster spot, but you shouldn't start him until we have clarity on the Titans' backfield. The same goes for Jeremy McNichols, too, unless you are truly desperate. If anything, I just expect Tennessee to throw the ball more. Yeah, I mean, and A.J. Brown really received the benefit last week. I mean, he finished as, like, the number two player on the week i think so mm -hmm. i i think i would expect the same i mean especially with a or not aj green sorry julio jones getting to better health in the future we might just expect Tannehill to air it out mm -hmm. we keep it rolling on the breakout football podcast in the middle of 10 takes we got a good bad and ugly next our fan q a we'll finish with but first a rising player has been one of my favorite players for a long time i think he'll be wide receiver two on his team at the beginning of next season, Van Jefferson, what is your take on the Rams wideout? I just think this season has been really encouraging for, for Van Jefferson in the future. And like you said, you have high expectations for him as well. He's put together 14.3 and 11.8 points in PPR league to, in back-to-back -back weeks. But this is the dude that just seems like a lock for around like six to seven targets every single week. Um, some day or some weeks he'll do more with that than others. But, I mean, like I said, this is a guy that's primed for the future, and this is more of a preemptive, like, just wait on Van Jefferson to explode because he will at some point. And I think with Deshaun Jackson out of the picture, it's, it's clearly set that Van Jefferson is, is going to be, you know, the primary slot guy. And you might see more of those, you know, double-digit performances become regular from him. And so if, if you're struggling with injuries, if, if you're a team that's been decimated by bye weeks and are looking for a spark, then I think Van Jefferson, he's not going to be a guy that's, that's going to come and give you like a 20-burger every single week, but he's going to provide consistent production in your lineup that you can rely on. And as we head into the final stretches like of the season, I mean, obviously it's mid-season, but you're thinking about playoffs, you're going to want reliability in your roster. Keep an eye on Jefferson if you haven't been already. He's consistently a player I have in my uh, names to consider for the waiver wire week, but he just never gets enough snaps or targets consistently to make him a must add waiver player. So yeah, that's it's kind of unfortunate. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so, Eagles running backs, we already talked about oh, yeah. Jordan Howard, Boston Scott, but you want to talk about a different one, Kenneth Gainwell. Oh my gosh. I have had so many people hitting me up about where Gaines, where Gainwell was this weekend. For all the people asking me about where Gainwell was, my answer was exactly where we thought he would be. I said it on the show last week. I said it in both of my weekly columns for the Draft Network. Gainswell is Philly's pass catching back. He was never meant to be a bell cow nor take over Miles Sanders' role. That was always going to be Boston Scott. And then here you come Jordan Howard coming in and being the ultimate touchdown vulture he is. The three each have 12 targets plus um, 12 carries plus Gainwell has one more. Now, I will say that the Eagles were in a huge positive game script, so they didn't need to throw the ball that much. Heck, I think Jalen Hurts threw it 14 times with nine completions. So, yeah, obviously we can't really expect Gainwell to be this workhorse must start back. And that's something you really have to pay attention to when the star running back, I say star loose, it's a loose term when talking about Miles Sanders. You really have to pay attention to when the main running back gets hurt in an offense because sometimes 
They're just going to divide up that work amongst the other running backs. It's not going to be a one slot in, you take 80% of the snaps type of thing. And that's been especially the case for the Eagles and everyone who has worked under Doug Peterson in the last two or three years. So I do expect Gainwell to have a bigger role this week against the Chargers. I'd consider starting him at my flex, but he's not a must start based on his small role. Much to the chagrin of fantasy managers, right? Mm-hmm. Like that That's the worst thing to hear is when you log in, you know, to your NBC Sports Edge notifications or, or any – your sleeper notifications and just see Eagles expected to, to split the work 50-50. And you're just like, well, shucks. It's always going to happen. It was always going to happen. Uh, why don't we talk about a star receiver? I want your thoughts on DK Metcalf because he's been playing with Geno Smith. He uh, does – get the bye this week which is nice then he'll have russell wilson hopefully back next week what's metcalf's outlook looking like for the rest of the season well i just think he's quarterback proof and i think that's a a rare label that you can bestow on some receivers i think mclaurin comes to mind hopkins comes comes to mind Allen robinson i think has shed his label um (laughs) but i mean that's besides the point DK Metcalf, his lowest point total is 11.8. But since then, that was two weeks ago, he's had 17.6 and 22.3 PPR points against New Orleans and Jacksonville. And I think that is really encouraging because Tyler Lockett has been the exact opposite. That dude has not showed up with a quarterback change. And I mean, it's going to be interesting to see with Russell Wilson getting the pin removed from his finger. And I, I think he has potential to start this week. And so I think DK Metcalf, it's, in, it's encouraging that he can keep up that production despite, you know, changes at the helm of the offense. Yeah, when those guys, when uh, those guys come back from their bye and Wilson comes back from the injury, look out. Seattle offense, I think they have a top 12 pick right now or something. I don't know, but that, that should change when Wilson comes back. So, Jamison Crowder, you're going to get into the Jets like a little later in this episode. So, don't give too much away. Oh, I but you kind of like his role in there. Yeah, Crowder is quickly becoming the Jets wide receiver one. In the last four weeks, no other receiver on the team has averaged more targets per game than him. His role in the slot proved even more valuable on Sunday with Mike White, of all people, making his first NFL start and balling, which is good on him. But I think it's important to see that in Crowder's last four games this season, he's at a point range of 7.4 and 19.1. That's really steady. And even better, his week eight performance didn't include a touchdown, which sets a relatively high floor for him. This week, gets the Colts, Thursday night football. They are 23rd in the most fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. They've also allowed nine receivers to score more than 13 points this season. And they've allowed a receiver to score more than 17 points in each of their last five games. The point is Crowder is a very nice, sneaky start this week. It's all a recipe for success. And I think there's a chance he can become, or even uh, even better, he already is a weekly flex play in your lineup. I mean, sometimes the matchups are just like too juicy that you know like a player is going to hit, right? And in that case, it seems like Crowder is a, a pretty safe play for a boatload of targets and a lot of yards after the catch. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right, we each got one more player left. And as we always like to do, we like to talk a little bit about tight ends. And uh, we kind of have a common theme, I feel like, with our next player for each of us. So what do you think about the Patriots tight end? Not Hunter Henry. But Jonu Smith, I feel like some people forgot he was there, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I did for for a while, for sure. (laughs) Um, And I mean, what you said, like, we like to end the segment with tight ends. I don't think anyone likes to end the segment with talking about tight ends, Zach. (laughs) We just kind of have to do it because we have to give the position a little bit of of love. But in this case, I mean, I'm just kind of left wondering what is going on with Jonu Smith, because over the last four four weeks, he's only seen a maximum of targets He's only seen two in, in three of those weeks. Finally got five in week seven, but that was his career high, or not career high, a season high with 57 receiving yards. He only has one touchdown the season, and we were advertised this 
two tight end, you know, dynamic setup, trying to go back to Gronk and Hernandez days. You got a new quarterback in the helm. You're going to give him two big targets to throw to. But really, it's just been a one-sided affair with Hunter Henry really claiming most of that production. And so I'm just disappointed in, to see Janu, and, and he's not even like a reliable option at, at the tight end position this year. So, I mean, really, he's just irrelevant. And it sucks because he's on an offense that caters to tight ends or has in the past. That offense is an explosive playmaker or two away from being really, really good. Like, really good. Everything's kind of clicking so far. They don't really need Johnny at this point. Under Henry's just really been the red zone guy, and he's scored in four of the last five games. So, Johnny's just kind of chilling there, making his bank, you know? And what about Tyler Higby, Zach? Because, I mean, you, you said that the Patriots kind of need that tight end. Do the Rams need a tight end? Nope. Because they've nope. gone over 20 points in the last or in every single game this season. And Higby has gotten a few scores for sure, but I mean, isn't really that much of a focal part of that offense. The Rams do not need a good tight end. I said this in the summer on the TDN fantasy live show that like Tyler Higby, just irrelevant, just irrelevant. He's disgusting. It's yucky. And at this point, like you should know that I'm not a fan of him. Like really, he's not someone to start. However, 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 he's averaging 4.5 targets and 8.6 points per game, which only includes two double-digit performances within the first three weeks. That was fine. That was pretty fine. But since then, Higby has finished as a tight end one. Again, just really looking at 12-team leagues. Just once. And that was when he dropped a massively juicy 9.4 points in week five that's not good more often than not he's finished as a low end tight end too so really if you need like seven to nine points then sure i guess it isn't a bad option but at that point why don't you just shoot for upside like you go get a guy who can get four or five points maybe even three but then also can get like 15 or 16 you might as well just do that rather than settling for like a seven and nine range like higby and then especially for this week in a week where there are very few tight ends I can confidently say you should start. I think there's six tight ends that you should start this week off the top of my head. Uh, Pitts, in no order, of course. Pitts, Kelsey, Gasicki, Waller, Goddard, Andrews. And this week, Higby gets the Titans defense. That's allowed just two tight ends to see more than 10 points all season. That was Travis Kelsey and arguably my favorite tight end sleeper right now. Dan Arnold. I prefer Arnold to Higby this week and maybe every week for the rest of the season. I am just so anti-Higby. I just like he's we always hype him up. There's no reason to. There really isn't. Yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of a lot of that hype comes from the five game stretch he had at the end of the 2019 season where he popped off, looked like he could be a future tight end one at the position and then has shown flashes since then, but never really lived up to that potential. But yeah, I mean, you're anti-Higby, I'm anti-tight end. I just hate that. It just seems like a red zone look, a, a touchdown is enough to vault you into the tight end one conversation. And there's just, there's too much fluidity between those like second and third tier tight ends into the you know fourth, fifth and the rest. Mm. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because the tight end position has been pretty ugly. And I will say, Got to pat myself on the back a little bit here before we transition into the next segment. I did say TJ Hawkinson would be a top two fantasy tight end by the end of the season. So knock on wood, he's on pace to do that, especially with Travis Kelsey. Just kind of not being Travis Kelsey. That has not been good. And speaking of things that have not been good, we're bringing back our favorite segment, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We each got one thing that is good, one thing that is bad and one thing that is downright ugly kick things off why don't you yeah i'm gonna start with something that's good and that's aj brown we discussed earlier derrick henry's injury means the titans might throw out you know air out the ball more and in week eight against the colts he had 11 targets 10 receptions 155 receiving yards and a touchdown that's 31.5 ppr points and i was kind of worried there for brown much like i was last season because it seemed like he was getting off to another you know slow start he was injured he put up some pedestrian numbers seven points against seattle and then 0.3 against the colts earlier in the season but it seems like his tra trajectory is kind of reversed 16 27 and of course the 30 bomb last week so it seems like the titans are 
catering more to his skill sets and they're going to throw to him more in the future. And so that's good news for AJ Brown fantasy managers for sticking with him through the rough patch. And then as the games count more in the season, be able to rely on him. I love me some AJ Brown. Well, my good. And I cannot believe I'm saying this. I can't believe I'm saying this. Oh my gosh. The New York Jets are good. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's like an oxymoron. Yeah, they had just one good game. But they did produce three potential starters in fantasy. Sure, Mike White balled out. We can't expect that every week, especially if slash when Zach Wilson comes back and if slash when he takes over the starting job. They gave us Jamison Crowder, Michael Carter, and Ty Johnson. And I already talked about Crowder, but let's look at the running backs instead. Carter was already showing he could potentially be a weekly starter. He's had three straight double-digit performances, including 25 targets over the last two games. His next seven games are littered with great matchups. And although there are three of them against teams in the top 10 of FPA to running backs, we kind of know that Carter has had this upside and he has slowly been unlocking it. Then to go out and drop that massive performance on the Bengals, it just really shows that, okay, this is what Carter can do. And at the bare minimum, he could still put up like 10 to 12 points based on his usage alone. And then there's Ty Johnson. You might be saying who? And I would say to you, don't you remember last year when like every Lions running back went down? Everyone's like, oh, you should pick up Ty Johnson. You may have picked up Ty Johnson. And he sucked. Well, I he's did. back. He is back. Seems like every year, like every season, you know, that he's been in the league, he gets hyped up for no reason. Well, that hype may be paying off to an extent because he has seen 13 targets in the last two games, which did come after the bye week. And might I add, as I've said throughout the show many times, post bye week bumps are a real thing. The comebacks happen. I don't know if I can start Johnson just yet, but his role is big enough to where he should be rostered in most leagues. As for Carter and Crowder, I think you should start them each week, at least more so Crowder, depending on your situation. Yeah, and they might even be available in your league at this point, too, because a lot of people were disappointed with with Carter, the way he started off the season. And obviously, Johnson, no one's, no one's going to have him on their rosters just as, as like a fill-in. So, I mean, both of them should be available. And what Zach's saying, like both of them, you know, should at least see a, a decent amount of workload, whether that will translate to anything production-wise, I guess, is, is up to them. Mm-hmm. Well, we talked about some good. Now we got to talk about some bad. What's on your mind that you didn't like, Cole? What's on my mind is that I'm worried for LaVisca Chenault because, I mean, this this dude was supposed to be kind of the Swiss Army knife for the Jaguars. He was supposed to play, you know, a variety of roles, wear a bunch of different hats. And instead we have uh, Jamal Agnew getting 12 targets, six catches, and 38 receiving yards, but that was enough for 15.8 PPR points. And I mean, straight up like Jacksonville was awful against Seattle, but you expect like your biggest playmakers to provide at least a little bit of life. Right. And to see Trevor Lawrence going after Jamal Agnew instead of, you know, Visca, who's this, you know, versatile guy and and supposed to be uh, a focal point of the Jaguars offense was just really concerning to see. I mean, he only had two catches, on on four targets and he was just invisible right and I don't think Seattle's secondary is all that great which is even more discouraging Mm -hmm. so I'm I'm worried for for Visca Jamal Agnew is what we hoped LaVisca Chenault would be and it's actually absurd that that's a sentence we're saying right now Uh, my bad had a good for the Jets I'm going to stay in the AFC to talk about a specific player in Jalen Waddle Look, for a player who was supposed to be matchup proof, Waddle was anything but in another Miami loss. No, a lot of that may not be his fault, but four catches on 12 targets is, that's bad. That's pretty darn bad. And prior to that game, though, he's never had more than two drops in a game. Maybe even more importantly, I think this goes to the wider scope of the Dolphins offense, let alone their horrendous situation right now he has kind of been misused like this Dolphins offense is atrocious but Waddle seems to be impacted the most 
they really kind of just relegated him to a that like change of pace like intermediary short yardage receiver like screen passes inside slants things like that there really isn't much room for explosive plays which waddle does best i think that's the best way to describe the dolphins offense right now aside from dysfunctional uh disgusting a lot of disses disappointing all those things but you can describe it as just unexplosive unexplosive is unexplosive is that even a word you get the point and i guess it's fine because for waddle we kind of know that his floor is at least high usage because he's gonna get the targets he just is but it limits his upside unless he scores and he's done that in just two games this season so he's a player that i flip-flopped a lot on just because every single week it looks like there's a new trend occurring, whether it's either down or up for Waddle, and then it reverses the next week. I always like to say you need at least three games to really determine a trend for a player, and then four for a pattern, and then that's when you know what's up. Mm-hmm. But I don't really know what's up with Waddle right now, and I guess I could say the same about the whole Dolphins offense. You know, I, I like that method. It, it just seems like, like you said earlier, Waddle is that jump start for the Dolphins to be like, okay, Here's like a little short four, five-yard pass. Just get the offense in rhythm. And then we're going to go after some more, you know, aggressive play calls, which is not very good for fantasy production. Nope, not at all. So those are our bad. Bads are bad. What are our uglies, you may ask? Who do we fit the good, the bad, and the ugly? Who do we pick for the ugly? Well, it's ugly. It's ugly, all right. Yeah, I mean, I picked the Saints. Oh. Obvious reasons. Michael Thomas penned a, a letter to Saints Nation saying he was going to be or he was not going to be available for the rest of the season. You've got Jameis Winston, although he didn't look like it dancing in the locker room on Sunday, but he suffered and you know a knee injury that is going to keep him out for a considerable time. That means Trevor Simeon is going to be starting at quarterback. And it's not like that, you know, that air rate or not air rate, that passing attack was all that fruitful. To begin with, I mean, it was basically the Alvin Kamara show, but now you've got Mark Ingram coming in to provide a little bit of, of change of pace work. And uh, I'm, I don't think he'll impact Kamara's, you know, touches too significantly, but it seems like Ingram is excited to have a role in the Saints offense moving forward. And so it just it's, it's a mess for fantasy production in general. Like I, it's, it's probably going to be the, one of the most unreliable offenses moving forward. If you have any players that aren't named Alvin Kamara, then just jump ship because mm-hmm. there's there's no way that this offense is going to to produce consistently for the rest of the season. It really kind of comes down to Camara taking a hit in fantasy value, but still being good. Obviously, like he's good enough to start every single week. But is are we going to see thirty point games from him every single game? Probably not. Just because that's how Taysom Hill works. Yeah. Uh, so Zach, lots of running back injuries this week. Mm-hmm. Um, like I mentioned, what, I mean, this, this is just turning into a disaster at this point. We have our running back King Derek Henry going down. Mm. Uh, are you, are you going to discuss replacements or, or what's your, what's your take on this? I just think the whole RB situation right now is ugly. Dreadful. It is so bad for top running backs right now. So bad. Of the top 20 running backs generally taken first in drafts based on Fantasy Pros ADP, shout out them, only 10 of them. That's half. That's half, Cole. That's good math right there. Only 10 of them have not missed a game due to an injury this season. And that doesn't even include Antonio Gibson, who was dealing with an injury, and James Robinson, who is dealing with an injury. It is a bloodbath. Kudos to you if you had Alvin Kamara or Ezekiel Elliott, because they're the last ones standing for now. Knock on wood. Austin Eckler's been balling too. DeAndre Swift. It's really interesting to see Swift and Eckler be two of those top-tier guys, because we knew they had it in them. It was more of a question of what's their role going to be? Are they going to get enough like carries? And for the answer is yes for Eckler, and the answer is no for Swift. But for Swift, it doesn't matter because he's their leading receiver outside of TJ Hawkinson. DeAndre Swift is probably a top 12 receiver in fantasy alone. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people may point out, oh, zero RB, you got to do this, you got to do that. That's definitely not what we're saying because look at all the other running backs who have been impacted later on in drafts. Kareem Hunt, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, 
Travis Etienne, J.K. Dobbins. It just, to me, it's just one. Obviously, there's a lot of luck that goes to it, but two, just preparing, just saying, okay, if this player was not in my lineup, how would it fare? I think if more people take that into context rather than hoping that a player doesn't get hurt, it's saying, okay, if he does get hurt, this is the plan. This is what's going to happen. Because right now, if you have a top running back, there's a 50% chance that they're injured, and that sucks. That is ugly yeah. as hell. No, it's unfortunate for sure. But let's make some predictions. So eyeing that, yeah. that top of the list, right, Derrick Henry is, is going on IR, so he's going to drop. But after that, we have Eckler, Taylor, and Swift, and Jones, Harris, Cordero, Patterson, Joe Mixon. Those are, you, those are some of your top names. Yeah. Who is primed to finish running back one now that Henry's, like, stranglehold over the top of the, the position is, is going to evaporate? My mind immediately flutters to – Najee Harris I think obviously in PPR you could go with Eckler or Swift just because they're getting a lot more uh a lot more targets and they're being used a lot more as wide receiver but I think the big thing to realize is it kind of really just takes like one or two huge games to vault yourself into the upper echelon of fantasy production and of all those players you just said right now Eckler in PPR leagues as we do with everything on this show in PPR has 153.2 points and Mixon is 131 so all it takes is for one of them to have a really big game so on a stance on it I don't know I'd be pretty naive to say Eckler because he only has one more point than Taylor as the RB2 obviously behind Derrick Henry who might I add had a 40 point lead on Eckler so that's insane yeah uh, I'll go with Najee Harris. Give me Harris. Why not? Well, who do you think? I mean, I was going to bite my words and say Joe Mixon because I think oh. – Yeah, and and like I did not like Mixon coming into the season, but he's definitely proved me wrong. And with all the injuries to the top running backs, I think I think if, if Cincinnati rides him the rest of the season, he could have a decent shot at being the running back one, and that would be the ultimate redemption arc in terms of all the fantasy pundits out there that that really held strong with with Mixon. So to recap that conversation, you're planning your flag on Joe Mixon to end the season as RB1, and I'm planning my flag on Najee Harris. Wow. I, uh, Mixon is bold. I still think he's going to be a player. Obviously, you start every week. Uh, if you're listening to this right now, let us know you think. Either reply on social media, drop in the comments, uh, write it in the review who you think will finish as RB1 this season. We're going to revisit this. I'm saying Harris. You're saying Mixon. Mm-hmm. That's a nice little fun uh, transition we had going there. Not bad. We should, you know, I think next week we're going to have to do, we're going to have to make some more bold predictions. I'm going to have to write that down for next week's show. What do you think? I, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm down for sure. I can't think of any off the top of my head that more that we can make, but in terms of just like determining fantasy rankings, for sure. Yeah, we'll get to that. As we get to the final part of the show, answering your fan questions, we got a lot of them, only picking out five for now. We'll start on Instagram from Seth Fine with two E's at the end. What should I do with Brandon Cooks? He's not going to be relevant until Tyrod Taylor's back. Um, so, I mean, I think that's he, – he'll have these decent games, but I've, I think primarily he's matchup-based at this point with Davis Mills at the helm and really only going to reach like a consistent level of startability once Tyrod Taylor is is back in the seat. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's, that's my take on Cooks. I just think he needs more con- consistent quarterback play to um, be like an every-week starter. Fair enough. I think it really depends on your situation. Like if you're good, maybe package cooks in a two for one. If you're bad, try to sell him. And you kind of touched on it. Like he did play much better with Tyrod who has been designated to return. So he's a three week window. Heck he could be playing on Sunday. And it just kind of is like, you don't really need to trade cooks. Like the target share that he has is massive. He's seen 70 targets. The next most on the team is Jordan Akins and David Johnson with 25 <laughs> each. Cooks owns the air in Houston. I will say, though, he does have a buy. So if your fantasy trade deadline has not passed yet and you want to get him off because you know he's going to miss at least a week, I don't blame you. 
but his usage is too high to think he'll play poorly every game. I know he hasn't been the most consistent player, but he looked pretty darn good with Cooks. He had two of his best games. I'd expect him to be a bit more consistent when Taylor comes back. So did I say Cooks? I meant Taylor. You know what I mean. Either way, I don't think Brandon Cooks is a must sell. Uh, what's the next question we got? I don't know. It's not on the sheet. <laughs> oh, I didn't put it on the sheet. That's <laughs> awkward. Uh, we have a Google Doc that we like to use for our rundown. I completely botched it dealing with, uh, you know, fevers and everything. So I guess I'll just read it out. It's a total surprise for you. My bad, man. My bad. <laughs> no, it's good, man. I mean, you're, uh, you're a little scatterbrained because you you are dealing with an illness. So <laughs> I mean, there, yeah. there is no injured reserve for my breakout football podcast host. So you're all good. <laughs> Well, I guess that here it is for you. You've no idea what this question could be. Uh, it's from TikTok. Max dot Braden. Should I trade Kyler Murray for Lamar straight up because of Kyler's injury and we'll still have his bye week? Or should I just try and go get Lamar Jackson? So basically what he's asking Kyler or Lamar for the rest of the season. I mean, I, I would want to know the backup quarterback, but if we're just assuming, if, if we're just assuming that you can pick up a, a quarterback on waivers, I just think Kyler Murray's at the helm of the most explosive offense in the NFL right now. And he's, he's going to get you like, yes, he didn't play that great against the Packers, but that was really his only bad game of the season. And with Lamar, it's, it's who's, who's a better passer than he was a few years ago. It just kind of seems like I, I would rather have Kyler in, in, in in that term right and if you can find a decent option off of waivers to keep you in check for the next three weeks then i would probably go that route but i mean kyler murray with arizona they're, they're going to be fighting the rest of the season in, in the in the nfc west to really lock up their their playoff contention murray's going to be passing the rock no matter what and it's just it kind of seems like the ravens will always be run first yeah, but I think that works to Lamar's advantage. And, like, I don't think it's anything against Kyler Murray, although you could make the case that the Packers kind of exposed the Cardinals' offense on Thursday Night Football. Uh, like, look, Murray's a top player in the league and in fantasy, but Lamar is averaging 1.5 more points per game. And in the grand scheme of things, that does add up. And just looking at how good Lamar has been as a passer and knowing he's yet to fully unleash the hell that could be Marquise Brown, Rashad Bateman, and a healthy Sammy Watkins alongside Mark Andrews. I just love everything about that situation. He also runs about four more times per game than Kyler. And like Seth, or who said this, Max said, Kyler does have his bye week coming up, so you know Kyler's going to miss a week. You know he's dealing with an injury right now. Uh, I, I think I saw a report today saying it'd be like 50-50. So I'm assuming he will play anyway, but I think I'd actually rather take Lamar for the rest of the season. Hmm. Well, we agree to disagree, Zach. Mm -hmm. The next question, TikTok from Pickles Cantel. Did I read that right? Yeah. Pickles Cantel. <laughs> that, is a, that is a great username. I love that. That's an elite one. Definitely in the uh, Q&A Hall of Fame right there. But what's the question? He has a start-sit question for this week. Michael Pittman or C.D. Lamb? Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Obviously, talk spent about most Pittman. of this podcast hyping up Michael Pittman. Yeah, I'm like my gut saying Pittman, uh, but both have seen varying targets per game. But Pittman sees a much larger target share. Pittman also sees more snaps. Not a huge difference, like five percent of a difference. Both have okay matchups this week. The Colts get the Jets on TNF. The Cowboys get the Broncos. And I will say the Broncos have done a better job at shutting down top receivers lately. So I feel like my brain says lamb, but my gut says Pittman. It's a close call to me. I feel like Pittman's a bit more touchdown dependent. So I feel like maybe I'd lean lamb, but I, you could sway me right here with your answer because I really can make a case for both of them. Yeah, for me, it's lamb. Um, I, I don't think the matchup really plays too much of a role, especially okay. with Dak is, is most likely going to return this week. Um, I mean, I, I was a I, I did start Cooper Rush last week and was pleasantly surprised. I thought he performed much better than than anticipated. <laughs> you started me, Cooper Rush? I, I did. I did. I How? didn't have an option. I just kind of operated with the assumption Dak would be ready to go and I would enjoy a nice, you know, like, 30 20 stack with Dak and, and CD Lamb in my lineup, but it ended up being Cooper Rush and, and CD Lamb as my stack. So I was totally pleasantly surprised, but but Lamb, 
he scored 15 points with rush at the helm. So I think that kind of just shows you like, it doesn't really matter who's at, at the helm. Like lamb is going to produce no matter what. Wow. Ballsy ballsy slide and rush there uh let's see we got a couple more start sit questions this one from instagram matt.shay23 miles gaskin elijah mitchell or cole beasley this week assumingly at the flex yeah i i just i've never been the biggest fan of gaskin um elijah mitchell i i feel i feel like that that dude is always going to be competing in that backfield but also the any Bills receiver not named Stephon Diggs is kind of like a toss-up. So, I mean, I, f- I feel like I would have to go with with Gaskin just because of Miami's offense. It, it needs like a spark right now, and I feel like if, if it's going to be anything, it's going to be it's going to be going through the run game because I mean, obviously the passing attack is is atrocious. I don't know. I like, yeah, Gaskin's seen a little bit of a resurgence with Tua back, but I think he's still a little too inconsistent for me. Elijah Mitchell has been really good lately, but his lack of receiving involvement worries me. I think it caps yeah. his upside a bit. Beasley, yeah, he's been huge the last few weeks, but he's really just a boomer bust player. So you put him in the lineup, you better be prepared for three points or 25. So I think Mitchell's safer. The matchup against Arizona is not the best. They're uh seventh or eighth in fantasy points allowed so i think i'd roll with mitchell he's safer but i think ultimately you take your pick based on how you think your roster is if it's a little on the safe side maybe shoot for the upside with beasley if you're it's a boomer bust week and you know like you may need points because not everyone else will produce some get some points in there with mitchell yeah no i i definitely agree with that with that logic but Mm -hmm. um from tiktok feeny underscore should i start sutton claypool or renfro I'm not a huge fan of any of them this week. I guess Sutton could be the guy in Denver's offense. Uh, Claypool, he's really been all over the place. He's got a good matchup for Chicago. I think Renfo really is the steady one here. I don't expect the rug situation to impact him because they have vastly different roles in that offense. So I feel like if you told me what's a player like to get at least 10 points, like that you could bank on, I would say Renfro's probably most likely to hit that. He's only had one performance or two performances below double-digit points this year, and even then it was like 5.9 and 6.6 points. So I think I'd roll with Renfro, but that's just me playing like on the safer side. I feel like Sutton has the most upside, especially in a Denver defense or Dallas defense that consistently gives up a lot of chunk yards. But I just don't trust the Broncos' offense. I I really don't. I, I think I'd roll Renfro. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the Broncos are in flux offensively every single week. With Renfro, you know, like he's going to have at least consistent involvement. I think Rugs, the the situation with Rugs might actually be like make Renfro more favorable, right? Because Carr is is going to look at his offensive weapons, be like, okay, who can I rely on outside of Darren Waller? And it's going to be Renfro in the flat. It's going to be Renfro maybe stretching the field a little bit more than than he used to. Um, so like I said, that's probably the safer option. I would also side with you. That's that's sudden. If you need a boom performance might be the play, but I've given up trying to figure out which weeks the, the Broncos receivers are going <laughs> to pop off in that offense, that whole team really just needs a facelift. Of course, they're not the only ones, but we will have to talk about that on another episode because that is all the time we have on the Breakout Football Podcast. If you one of the few souls to stick around this entire time, feel free to follow us, ask us questions, tell us how much you hated the show at Zach Cohen FB, Z-A-C-H-C-O-H-E-N F-B, at Ham Analysis, H-A-M-A-N-A-L-Y-S-I-S. Feel free to leave a review, too. You leave a review. We're going to be indebted to you. Drop some questions in. Drop a take. Anything. And you will probably get on the show in some form. So that's our show this week. Any closing thoughts? Yeah. Do we have any new reviews or or no? Not yet. I honestly haven't checked in a while. I I could check right now, I guess, while we stall for 10 seconds. So just, I don't know. What's uh, What are your plans this weekend? What's going on with you? I'm going to be covering the USC game, which is which is going to be interesting because a lot of the 2020 recruiting class for ASU was from Southern California. So I always enjoy the, the SoCal games against UCLA, USC, because it, it just kind of seems like the players have have more to play for their families in town. And overall, it's just a, a really amped up matchup. So um, what about what about Gators football this weekend? 
Oh, I don't even know. I kind of stopped following them after they lost <laughs> Kentucky. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. They play South Carolina. So for anyone who follows college football, there you go. We actually do have a couple new reviews. A great listen from Mickey Bodner. Appreciate that. Great listen. Very good takes from uh, Ben, Ben, Ben Meyer, Mayer, something like that. Um, What a great podcast. Keep it up, guys. I love listening from, I don't even know what this says, like Drew Baca, asterisk, euro sign, <laughs> equation, I don't know. Something like that. But yeah, appreciate it. You know, drop a review. We'll get you in the podcast. Maybe add some substance to it for those listening. And as always, follow us everywhere for additional fantasy advice. We will see you all next week with a massive guest. You're not going to want to miss it. Drop that follow right now. You don't miss the next episode and all episodes here on the Breakout Football Podcast. We're catching dubs, everybody. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.